Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. Welcome to our series featuring breast cancer survivors. These women have stories to tell and wisdom to share. And we're also shining the light on a nonprofit called the Ellie Fund, which provides essential support services to breast cancer patients to ease the stresses of their everyday life. Find out more at elliefund.org. One in eight women in the United States will be diagnosed with breast cancer in her lifetime. And every 65 seconds, someone hears the words, you have breast cancer. In the spotlight, a single mom who was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer at only 42. Kate Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I am so happy to have you here and your story is so inspiring. So let's get right to it. Take us back to 2017 and your diagnosis. In April, my son turned two. Two weeks later, I received an out-of-the-blue breast cancer diagnosis. The other statistic that is shocking is that 85% of women diagnosed have no family history and no genetic mutation to explain their cancers. And I was one of those women. And it was my first mammogram because I had been breastfeeding when I was 40. It was my first sort of official mammogram. On the opposite side, I'd had a little bit of mastitis leftover infection once I finished breastfeeding, had had an ultrasound on the right breast the summer prior, and unfortunately, they never took an ultrasound to the left breast while they were sort of in the neighborhood that year. So when I went back the following spring, I started to have some stabbing pains in that left breast. When I felt around my chest, where the pains were, there was a mass that was so large that I thought it was a pec muscle. After a woman breastfeeds, a lot of changes in the body happened, and so everything had gone from sort of glorious to deflated to what is this new muscle in my body, and why is it stinging with pain? So I went back in and... And you got the news. And I got the news. Tell me about your diagnosis. I was stunned. I had no reason to be worried. I wasn't worried. That day that I went to the doctors, I kind of said, oh, you know, I have this thing. And, you know, they said, well, we don't have any mammogram appointments, but come on in. We'll give you a physical exam and we'll take it from there. And I went and had the physical exam. And then it was, oh, what do you know? A mammogram machine is open right here. Why don't we come over here? And then it was, you know. Here's they, an ultrasound machine. Right. And, oh, let's do a biopsy right away. Right, exactly. So you start getting a sense of urgency. I knew I was in trouble when they didn't laugh at my joke. It was a huge mass. You could see it with your naked eye. And by the way, it didn't even show on a mammogram, which is another really sort of terrifying thing that women need to know to be empowered about their breast health education is that 3D mammograms, which are becoming more popular and more covered by insurance or a regular mammogram in combination with an ultrasound is really what will detect masses. I mean, you, my mass, you could see with your naked eye and it was the size of your fist and yet it wasn't on the mammogram. You know, they kind of said at the end of a lot of worried glances back and forth, well, we're going to tell you what's going on. You do have a large mass. We want to biopsy it now if we can. And I looked at them and I said, well, what could this be besides cancer? What are some other options? You know, maybe my twin that I ate in utero. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't laugh. They didn't laugh. Kate with the humor. So you were diagnosed with stage three mm -hmm. breast cancer. Where was the metastases? In my lymph nodes. I walked out from the biopsy spent a weekend at my parents' house for the Easter holiday, knowing that I was pretty likely to receive bad news the following week, but still shell-shocked and not really understanding it. 
did get the diagnosis that following Tuesday, and then you enter that horrifying space of not knowing how far it's gotten and, you know, grade and stage and all of that. And so you have to go through all those testings. And they had did a lymph node biopsy at that point and found that initially they thought it hadn't spread to my lymph nodes, but then they found that it had. Let's take a minute and step back and talk about the person in your life who is everything. This little guy named Ronan. You decided to seek out a sperm donor when Mr. Wright didn't seem to be coming around. Tell me about that process and let's talk a little bit about your pregnancy. As I approached my late 30s, I had dated a lot of wonderful people, none of them quite right uh, for a long-term partnership. Got to a point, I broke up with somebody, literally went that following Monday into a doctor to say, okay, I'm here to freeze my eggs. I thought I could buy myself some time on the traditional path that everybody sort of expects for themselves. And the results of that were I found out that my fertility wasn't where I thought it was. And so that doctor, you know, the yield of what I got for, you know, egg freezing was not great. And that doctor said, you know, if it's really important to you to have a biological child, you should think about it, doing it on your own. And I'd kind of joked about it for years. So this is where I say you really have to be careful about what you manifest, either intentionally or by accident. The dating history would go south and I'd say to my mom, don't worry, mom, you know, I'll let you help me pick a sperm donor out of a catalog one day. And there we were (laughs) on the Internet. And so I made the decision after a lot of hard work and therapy and soul searching, I decided that that was what I really wanted. And I, I didn't feel right. I felt like a mom already, but I didn't have a baby in my house. I found a donor and started down that path and then struggled with infertility for about a year, which is was really challenging. But each time. I went through it. I realized how badly I wanted it. Tell me about the day you found out you were pregnant with Ronan. Oh, that was fun. So I sort of went into the whole thing with cautious optimism, which doesn't really exist. You can't be cautious and optimistic with your whole heart. Towards the end of that year of infertility, I finally hit a rock bottom. I cried for the first time in all of it, and I just lost it. At the end of that, I woke up the next morning and I just said, you know what? Mm-mm. I am coming for you, baby. I changed the way I talked about it. It wasn't an if anymore. It was a when. And I meditated and I did all of this work around the yoga practice and all of the mind, the visualization. And I just pictured myself getting pregnant. And the day I went in for that egg transfer, I said, this is it. I'm going to get pregnant today. Bye, friends. See you. And sure enough, The only thing I hadn't tried in all that cautious optimism was really believing it. And then the minute I really believed it and I admitted to myself how much I wanted it, I was pregnant three weeks later. I just remember sort of looking. I'd seen so many sticks with no line. And then I just kind of sat there staring at it and laughing and just couldn't couldn't believe it. Single parenthood is difficult. Yeah, it is. What has it been like for you beyond the cancer diagnosis? Yeah, it's challenging. It's a testament to how hard single parenting is that when I got an out-of-the-blue cancer diagnosis, my first thought was, shoot, like there's another thing to do, something else I got to tackle. It's really challenging, but it's also really beautiful. I have a relationship with my son that is really special, and because it's just the two of us, I joke that he has the benefit and the burden of my undivided attention. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the reason why I wanted to take a left-hand turn and talk a little bit about Ronan, because he's such a big part of the story. And I'm going to guess that the only thing you were thinking about when you got the news, Kate, you've got stage three metastatic breast cancer, was what about my baby? Yeah. Right out of the gate, it was like, nope, not today not today. I was so grateful that it was me 
and that it wasn't him. I know that I can handle whatever comes at me. So thought number one was that I was so grateful that it it was something that I had to tackle. And then I was grateful that he was really small and that he was old enough. He was two at that point and a really social, happy, easygoing kid who would go with anybody. No coaxing required. Do you want to go to the playground with me while mommy is collapsed on the couch? Yes, I do. Stranger I've never met before. (laughs) Off we go. (laughs) I was really grateful that he was so small and I knew he wouldn't really remember what he was seeing. But it was really important to keep him with me through all of it. I have photos and things of us together and and situations. Will you show him those pictures someday? Of course. Yeah, I want him to know how much he was what kept me going through all of it. You are also incredibly close to your family. I want to find out, first of all, it must have been very hard for you to tell your parents. That was the worst part. Making that phone call was the most horrifying thing I had to do. I had the biopsy on Good Friday and went to their house for Easter. I didn't mention any of it. I waved goodbye to my parents and I said, thanks for, you know, great weekend. Talk to you later in the week. Bye. And then less than 24 hours later, I had to call them and do that thing where my mom answered and like, is dad there too? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, could you go get him on the phone as well? And that never is followed by good news. I was blowing up their world. I knew how grateful I was that it was me. And of course, my mother wished it was her. And that's what mother love is. Yeah, it, it is. And what she- was your treatment plan and what hospital did you go to? Tell us a little bit about that next part of your journey. My mom was at my side within 12 hours. You know, they live in Connecticut only a couple hours away. We're action people. You know, my mom and I especially are like, okay, great. It's go time. What do we do? Show us what to do. And step one was getting the best care team mobilized. And in Boston, we're so lucky. We have such incredible opportunities and doctors. And Where did you get your care? My oncology team is at Dana-Farber. And then my breast surgeon uh, was at Beth Israel. I could not have felt more confident in the people who were caring for me. And they were as willing to to be as aggressive as as I wanted to be, which was cut everything off, take it all, like whatever you need to do, just do it right now. Get Uh, it out of my body. Totally. Let's talk about chemo. How did your body react? It's not that fun. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's a chance, you know, for a single mom to hang out for six or seven hours a day in a heated chair with blankets and snacks. At the time, I tried to view it as a positive, and only in hindsight do I realize what coping mechanisms I was very clearly putting in place. But I did chemo first because my cancer had spread to my lymph nodes. They really wanted to tackle the systemic part of it first. My body responded really well to the chemo, which was great. I mean, within one treatment, the tumor that you could see with your naked eye and touch went from a big, hard, fist-sized rock to much smaller, more malleable. I did 16 weeks of chemotherapy, eight rounds every other week. And then I had a month in between to sort of get my immune system built back up as much as possible. And then I had a bilateral mastectomy and a lymphovenous bypass uh, because I had to have a lot of lymph nodes removed. But the lymphovenous bypass helped prevent lymphedema, which is another side effect that lots of people don't talk about, but it's really unpleasant for the people who suffer from it. And I've been really lucky not to develop it so far. And then I did six weeks of daily radiation after that. Along the way, this nonprofit that we're so crazy about here in Boston called the Ellie Fund. Angels. Became part of your village. Yeah, they did. Tell us about it. They did. One of the teachers at my son's daycare approached me one day at drop-off and said, you know, there's this organization. It's called the Ellie Fund and you should look into it. And I remember going to the website and 
know, they let you choose what's most useful. You know, I could have chosen house cleaning or meal delivery services or childcare, reimbursement costs or grocery gift cards or any of those things. And they gave me three months of childcare reimbursement and three months of really generous gift cards to Trader Joe's. And I, I remember crying and, and explaining to my son what happy tears meant. Services include nutritional and grocery assistance, transportation to medical appointments, child care, light housekeeping, prepared and delivered meals, and integrative therapies, and it is all free of charge, just to help to ease the patient's burden while in treatment. If you'd like to donate to the Ellie Fund, and we sure hope you will, or if you just want to find out more about their services and maybe you know someone who needs them. Just go to elliefund.org. That's E-L-L-I-E fund.org. You have also gone green and mm-hmm. you are determined to remove the many environmental toxins that are around us every day. Mm-hmm. Give us your philosophy about breast cancer mm. and the connection to our environment. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of Tech Help Boston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. And we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit techhelpboston.com. That's techhelpboston.com. As I mentioned earlier, 85% of women diagnosed have no family history, have no genetic mutation to explain it. My oncologist said it was bad luck. Here I was, 42, with not just a little cancer, but a lot of cancer, having struggled with infertility and What I started to realize and started to research was environmental toxins that could have contributed. There aren't a million highly funded scientific studies yet, so the cancer community isn't willing to say cause and effect right now. But all I know is that one bucket, we have increasing cancer and infertility and autoimmune condition and allergies and all of these things happening. We see these rates escalating daily. And on the other bucket, I've learned how many known toxins and carcinogens and endocrine disruptors are in our personal care products. And learning that while I was going through treatment just put me in such a downward spiral of fear and shame and anxiety that I needed to switch everything as fast as I possibly could to protect myself and to protect my son. I felt like I should have known because we blame ourselves when there's no other explanation. It's just human nature. You've now got the greenest house out there. I finally got to a more balanced place with it where I realized that it's about progress and not perfection. When you know better, you do better, and you chip away at it, and you make as many conscious, intentional choices as you can. You've got a passion for curating clean products for your home. This is a project. Yeah. Tell me all about it. This is my passion project, which, to be honest, would be a lot easier if I could step away from, but it's sort of one of those can't stop, won't stop things. It's called the Sangha Project. Sangha is a word used in the yoga community, which I learned when I went through yoga teacher training after I finished treatment. It loosely translates to beloved community, and it implies uh, members who share a common path and a commitment to supporting each other. The yoga community, the people I went through teacher training with, they were my sangha. We spent 200 hours in a room together on a real major spiritual and physical journey. 
The cancer community is certainly a sangha as well. The mission of the sangha project is to provide these curated kits for women, not just breast cancer patients, but all women's cancers, to provide them with a clean beauty starter kit and just some light on this path and a community that is aligned with their priorities, which is, you know, health and wellness and optimizing that, that has safe products and things that they can trust so they can focus on healing. How can people find out more about the Sangha Project? The website is sanghaproject.org, and it's S-A-N-G-H-A project.org. Social Instagram and Facebook, it's at the Sangha Project. You earn your living as an interior designer on the sales side. Right. But your new love is yoga. Yeah. Talk to me about what that has done to transform your heart, your mind, yeah. your your well-being. Yeah, it's really everything. Yoga for me is a lifestyle. It's at the core of who I am. It really didn't turn into anything other than exercise for me. I'd done it you know, my entire adult life, and I was an athlete growing up. I'd done what I considered more hardcore pursuits. And then throughout the course of my adulthood, I'd done some yoga as exercise. But then when I was struggling with infertility, that's when it changed for me. And that's when I realized that mind-body-spirit connection, when I really looked up to the universe and said, all right, here's what I want and here's what I'm coming for. And then it worked, (laughs) like real fast. And that was the first time that I was like, okay, maybe we've got something here. And so it really helped me navigate my pregnancy and new motherhood. And it was the first place I went when I was diagnosed. Literally was diagnosed on a Tuesday. I went to my Wednesday lunchtime class and it was the first time I said the words out loud to anybody outside my family. I'd only told my parents at that point and a couple close friends. And I told my teacher who I'd been practicing with for a year or so at that point, it, just in case I left the room unexpectedly or you know had an unexpected emotional reaction. I just kind of whispered to her like, by the way, I was diagnosed with breast cancer yesterday. It helped steady my focus, physically helped me, mentally helped me. And so doing teacher training when I had completed my active phase of treatment was the most healing thing I could have done for myself. It was my way of of showing my body how much I loved it and how much I trusted it again. And that everything we'd been through together in the last five years, I wanted to honor it. They say that breast cancer changes you from the inside out. Mm. Has that been true for you? At a soul level, for sure. I struggle with this because nobody would choose a cancer diagnosis. We see the outcomes every day that don't go well. Um, And I know how many of us personally are touched by that. It has brought me so many gifts and so much beauty and clarity and perspective. I'm just filled with gratitude that I have that perspective on life. When the treatments are done Mm -hmm. and the doctor says, Okay, right, Kate, you're done. Come back in X months for your next scan. How do you adjust? Oh, it's hard. Has that been a hard part for you, survivorship? For sure. And it's harder than anybody really talks about, which is why I talk about it, as uncomfortable as it is, because Mm -hmm. I know by sharing how hard it is for me, there's a lot of battle language with cancer, which I'm so uncomfortable with. Like, you got this or go crush it or, you know, all those things that people say because they mean so well and they want and they believe like, yes, if anybody can crush this, it's you. And, and I felt that. I felt that fortitude around me. But it also leaves you feeling like, well, what if I don't? Have I failed you? What about the days afterwards when I don't feel like I'm crushing it every day? Like, I still feel after the dust settles, when you're in active treatment, you can stay in a shock state for a year solid and not realize it. And then when you come out and you start processing and understanding what really happened, how 
serious the circumstances were, that's when the real work begins. It's a challenge, and it's a challenge to navigate that and to also be filled with joy and gratitude at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. Where does your strength come from? My son. So much of it. And just within myself. I've always described myself not necessarily as a religious person, but a deeply spiritual person. All I can say is the first moment of stillness that I had after I was diagnosed was when they were pushing me into the MRI machine. I knew that I had to be in there alone with my thoughts for the first time. I was in action mode right away, but this was a 45 to 60 minutes. I knew I had to be still and quiet with my thoughts. What kept looping in my head was, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Like, I don't, who was I talking to? Adversity is a great teacher. What have you discovered about yourself over the last two years? I have really learned how to treat myself with grace, with kindness, to speak to myself the same way that I would speak to somebody else that I love deeply. I've learned that if you threaten me, you threaten my child. And that's just not a great idea. <laughs> Mama Bear, Mama Bear is coming for you. And I've realized I'm so loved. I wish that everybody could understand how deeply loved they are without having to have a, a health crisis to prove it. Can you offer a piece of advice to a woman who is just starting out on this journey? She's scared. She's worried that the breast cancer will take her life, maybe take her away from her children. Mm -hmm. What do you say? I say breathe. I say come back to your breath. That's the only real tool that we have, you know, and that's the yoga in me talking. It's something I say to myself all the time because it's true. You know, cancer will take your breath away from you as any highly stressful life event will do. But if you can just sort of trust and look inward and find that deep, deep well of strength that I think we all have within ourselves and breathe into it, I think you'd probably surprise yourself. At this moment, at this time in your life then, hmm. what does success mean to you? Being present. Really, truly being present in any given moment. That's what we have. You know, we as humans tend to replay the past and sort out circumstances or we worry about the future and what might happen. But none of those things are real. You know, the past is gone. The future isn't here yet. What we have is right here and right now. So if you can stay in that space and, and live with gratitude for the present moment, none of the rest matters. I want to say thank you so much for being our guest this week and for sharing your story, Kate Martin, on this special series about breast cancer survivors. Thank you for the wisdom you shared today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful. Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?